Well, today, as we continue in our study of the Gospel of John, um, we come to probably the most amazing of all of his miracles. As we look at this portion of Scripture, it is probably the most um, stark, um, the most, yes, amazing um, miracle that Christ wrought. If you would turn um, in the book of John to chapter 11. Now, this is a, it's going to be a lengthy reading, so don't fall asleep on me, um, because it's a, it's a long narrative, and I kind of want to get the bigger picture. So, uh, this is, Actually, I, I don't tire of giving you the reason that John wrote this. And interestingly, in the middle of this chapter 11, we have this confession that agrees with why John wrote it. And here it is in John 20 and verse 30 and 31. He says this way, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded, which are not written in this book. But these, the ones that I wrote, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I mean, what a more perfect reason for God to, by the Holy Spirit, to inspire John to write about these eight miracles that are recorded in uh, the Gospel of John. Today we're going to read about the seventh one. Uh, and then going, we have kind of a switch after this chapter, going into chapter 12, and we, we're, we're really close now to the, um, to the Passion of Christ and to His crucifixion week after, after chapter 11. And then, then following that, we have, I think, maybe one miracle recorded in the Gospel of John, and that is the miraculous catch of fish. Um, and so, but today we are in chapter 11, and let's see what we have here. I want to read from verses 1 through verse 44, a lengthy reading, as I said, and it is not a it's not completely comprehensive in light of this, uh, of this miracle because there's a little bit of reaction by the Jews following verse 44. But I thought for the sake of time we would read from verse 1 through 44. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Martha who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where his where he was. Then after this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. 
The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Mary, as soon as she heard, then Martha, excuse me, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loves him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Well, 
If it were not recorded in Scripture, you couldn't come up with a more fantastic tale. Just think about it. What a tale this is. What a story this is. And it's much more than a story. It's an account. It's not just a figment of someone's imagination. It is an account of a true and vital happening in history. A miracle beyond miracles occurred here where a rotting corpse came forth by the voice of someone and walked out of his own grave. What a picture. Well, I wanted to, I want to title this today, Christ Our Mediator. Simply, Christ Our Go-Between. Um, as we have read this text, we see this amazing picture. And I want to just begin with what a picture we have in John chapter 11 of the human condition. Of what we call humanity's lot. Don't we, haven't we seen this? We see this over and over and over again in our lives where families are broken up because death entered the picture. And we have here a, a picture here of this small family, two sisters and their brother, and they... We, 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 as we consider this, the human condition and what they encountered in their life, we see here, first of all, as we begin, we see sickness. And we see that all the time here, don't we? But we see sickness. We see the appeal for help. We see death. We see the inability, first of all, of, of, of humanity to deal with this sickness. And then there's an appeal for help. We see death, we see burial, we see the gathering of the community, we see grief uh, and weeping and, and the effort to give comfort. And, and we're, we all, we, we're all the time doing this, aren't we? Somebody is passing on, leaving this life, and the community gathers and they endeavor to comfort and give and be a blessing. It is the human condition. We see it here vibrantly in this picture in this passage now bethany was a small town about as we read about 2 miles outside of jerusalem and it's it's very logical that there would be a lot of the jewish people and and it seems like um, mary and martha and lazarus may have been of some renown we don't know for sure but it does indicate that they there's a a an exodus out of jerusalem out to bethany to, um, to be a blessing to them, as it says here. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Um, so this small town, um, little Jewish community, and here these three siblings grappled with life in a fallen world. And that's what we do. That's us. We are grappling with life in a fallen world. It is the human condition. Our text here describes Mary particularly as that Mary. 
that certain Mary who anointed the Lord. And though that account is not until is not recorded until the next chapter. Interestingly, it seems like John is John when he wrote this, obviously Mary's anointing had already occurred because John was writing after the fact. And so his original readers probably understood and was probably well known that Mary had done this. And so he describes her in this fashion as that woman, you know, that had anointed the Lord's feet with this precious oil. And so that will come in chapter 12. But John, John's readers would have known of her, and so he describes her. And so he just thought that this family was probably fairly well off uh, financially. I mean, it's not specifically stated. But they were well set up, I believe. The grave was probably a man-made cave. And if we read in the next chapter, we see that Mary had the means to get a costly, a pound of very costly spikenard, oil of spikenard. And it is thought that it would have taken a, an average day laborer a whole year of work to be able to buy this precious oil, this one pound. A whole year of, of labor. And so Mary had, had the means, obviously, to, to uh, have this very costly oil. And so it seems that the Lord was also was served multiple times in this home. And surely he would not have been a hardship to them if, if, they have been, if it would have been difficult for them to serve him. We see in, uh, I think it's in Luke 10, we, we see them, uh, we see Mary and Martha hosting the Lord. We know the account of how, how they serve them there. And then we see it also in John chapter 12, uh, six days before the Passover, here in verse 2, it says, actually, verse 1, then Jesus, that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. And, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So it's not, it was not, seemingly not uncommon for Jesus to be in the home of these three siblings. He had been in the home earlier. Following this account, he was in the home, yes, after this account. And uh, Scripture gives us some insights on these sisters. Not much on Lazarus, but on these sisters. And I I think it's helpful for us to to kind of paint the picture of of these two, two sisters and Christ's relationship with them. Interestingly, if you go back to Mar- uh, to Math, um, yes, to Luke ten, in verse thirty-eight and following, I think it's verse thirty-eight to about verse forty-two, you have the account of when uh, Christ was in their home earlier, and we know that Mary was sitting at his feet. Martha was very energetic, and she was a little critical of her sister that she would not arise and help to serve the Lord. Etc. Now, here we come in a whole different gospel, a completely different gospel, a different setting, and we see those two sisters still true to the characteristics that were laid out in Luke chapter 10. Now, 
let me just ask you if that's not important to the narrative of this passage. These sisters are true to the characteristics that were pointed out in Luke chapter 10. I think it's important to note. And so Martha is a go-getter. She's energetic. She's hospitable. She's willing to share and willing to serve. You know, I'm a little critical of others that are not quite as driven as she is. Okay. She welcomed Christ into their home in Luke chapter 10. It is her that is front and center there. Christ came to their village and Martha was the one who said, come to our home. She welcomed him into their home. Then we see, um, true to her nature, here in this text, in John 11, when Jesus, when she heard that Jesus was coming, immediately she went to meet him. She did not linger and dwaddle around and wait for him. She heard he was coming. She, she was true to her character and got up and, and uh, hurried out to meet him. Now, Mary seems more, she seems more re- reflective, more contemplative, contemplative, I can't pronounce that word, willing to be maybe in her sister's shadow, you know, uh, if she might be simply stimulated in heart and mind. Mary is more uh, reserved, I think, maybe. Uh, she is content to sit at Jesus' feet and be taught. Um, Mary was, I think, captivated by the words of Christ, by the gracious words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth and was willing to capitalize on that opportunity to, to sit at his, at his feet without distraction. And that is the word that is used in Luke 10, that Martha was much distracted with service. And when someone is distracted, that means that they are they, they are, they're not really in tune with what's really going on. They're distracted. There is a, there's a difference here. And so Mary was willing to sit at his feet as one who would worship Christ. And Jesus commended her and said, Mary has chosen the better part. And it will not be taken from her. Leave her alone, Martha. Let her have that good part. And so true to Mary's nature, she was sitting at home awaiting Christ's arrival. She was there in verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. So as we consider these two ladies one thing I, want to, I, do, I don't want to fail to point out here in John 11 is the unique relationship that Jesus had with these siblings. Think about it. Where can you go in the ministry of Christ and find this sort of interaction, this sort of, of relationship that was this back and forth that Christ had with these three siblings? He had a unique relationship with them. I mean, I think outside of the relationship with his, with his 12 disciples, there's, there's not another relationship revealed to us in the Scripture on this level. That, that is, my, that is my, uh, my thought here on that. That 
This, this, there was a, a high level of interaction with Christ during his ministry, as I've already pointed out, in his home, uh, fellowshipping in, his home, in their home, uh, inviting him to their home, etc., etc. Now we have this passage here. So first of all, I want to point out, as we, I, I, I don't want to, to give the implication that this passage is all about Lazarus. It's not. It's not all about Mary and Martha. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to, first of, all, first of all, focus on the humanity of the Lord Jesus that we see in this passage. His aligning himself with humanity. His humanity in John 11 is on display. When Lazarus became sick, Mary and Martha sent to him. Now, Jesus was probably in Beth Abara on the other side, on the eastern side of Jordan. And it was roughly 20 miles or so, probably from Bethany. And so when, when uh, Lazarus became sick, Mary and Martha sent to Christ. I don't know how they knew where he was, but he was probably notorious enough that you could just ask around, where's the Lord? And they were pointed in his direction. You know, their thoughts during this time of sickness are revealed in both sisters by their first comment or lament to the Lord when he arrived. I want to point this out. They sent to him. He came to them. And what did Martha say? Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When he meets Mary the first time, she said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Can't you not imagine? We have, we have Lazarus, deathly ill. And his two sisters were probably saying this. Oh, if only the Lord were here. If only the Lord were here, Lazarus would be made well. I know that, they said. And so this is the first words that came out of their mouths when, when Christ came on the scene. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And you can imagine their angst, knowing who Lazarus needed, but unable to get him the, that help. So they sent this messenger to Christ saying, Lord, behold him whom you love. Isn't that an amazing way to, to frame it? They said, Lord, him whom you love is sick. Notice there's no request. There's no petition recorded here. They seem, in a sense, to be content simply with saying, Lord, I want you to know that Lazarus is sick. We know that you love him. We're willing to trust in your love. We're willing to trust in your love. Lord, they seem content to trust in Christ's love for them. And I had to think of this passage in John 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, you see, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear people, Mary and Martha didn't say, Lord, we love Him. Please come and help Him. No, 
They didn't say, Lord, he loves you. Please come and help him. No, they said, Lord, the one whom you love, he's sick. He is, he is ill. And I, I think it's a, a beautiful way to frame it. Lord, you love him. And truly, verse 5 agrees with verse 3. Christ loved this family. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Just a very clear statement that Christ had a unique and meaningful relationship with these three siblings. He loved them. First off, we can see to have Christ love us does by no means exempt us from experiencing the human condition. Just think about that for a minute. There is, there is a teaching out there that denies this truth. That says that if you are in Christ, then you shouldn't be suffering these afflictions. You shouldn't be suffering these ailments. It's not God's will that you have these afflictions or these sicknesses. Well, let me tell you, this passage teaches it very clearly that if Christ loves us, that doesn't make us exempt from the human condition. But rather, it gives us a place of comfort. It's like as if Christ comes along beside us and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You can do this. You can go through this because I, have, I am giving you hope. I'm giving you the means to, to, to bear this affliction. What a comfort. What a comfort to us to consider as we go through this veil of tears. Is the love of Christ to us. What a comfort the love of Christ is to us. Maybe you've stood by the graveside of someone you loved. Maybe you have. Maybe maybe you've stood beside the grave of your hopes and dreams. And life has forever changed from what you had imagined. What a veil of tears this place is. Because truly, Ecclesiastes says it's better to weep than to laugh. It is better, to, it is better for us to to hear the cry of a wise man than to listen to the song of fools. Isn't that an amazing statement? We listen to too many songs of fools today, brothers and sisters. It'd be better for us to hear the lament of a cry. And so maybe we have stood beside the grave as Jesus did here. May we know that the Lord, the Lord loves us. The Lord loves us and he comes to us. And he stands by the grave with us. And then he weeps with us. He does. He weeps with us. This is a beautiful picture of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing statement that his loved ones are going through this veil of tears. And he is invited to come. 
And he does come. And he finds him in the grave already. And there's weeping and wailing going on. And he brings comfort to them. He says, I am the resurrection of life. He shall arise. And he says to the disciples, on the way there, Lazarus is sleeping. I am going to wake him up. He makes it clear that just a few sentences later, he says, Lazarus is dead. Our friend Lazarus is dead. He says, so it makes it clear that his awakening is going to be different from what we think someone else would awaken from. That he is a dead man and I am going to wake him up. And so he comes into this veil of tears and he ministers grace there. I, I want to, I have to go to Hebrews and just point out a few passages as we consider the humanity of the Lord Jesus. And I want to encourage us that the human condition is ours to bear. It is for us to have. It is for us to go through. It is not, it is, it is, we are not exempt from it. But listen, we have such a mediator. We have such a high priest that brings so much comfort to us. Listen, we have Hebrews and here who's saying in verse, in chapter 2 of, of Hebrews in verse 14, it says, It says this way, and, and this is just, it's not even all of the passages that I could go to. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. We skip down to verse 17. And he says, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren like us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation or to make satisfaction for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And I want to flip back to Hebrews 4 in verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You see, it is important to know that we have a high priest that has gone before us. And it is the, the exhortation is here that we hold fast to our confession because the one we are following knows our frame. He has gone through what we have gone through and he is inviting us to hold fast to that confession. He has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. What an amazing passage. And then if you go to, to uh, verse, uh, chapter 5 and verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, this is speaking about the Lord Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was his son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Listen. Have you ever cried vehemently? I imagine you have. 
I imagine you have. Well, he is, he has also. He has also. He has cried with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Amazing. I I believe that is, I, I don't fully understand that. That he learned obedience. But in, in his humanity. In aligning himself up with us. He went through these things. And he progressed in them. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Listen. Christ was subjected to the human condition. He was. Whatever that you or I are facing. Whatever it is. He specifically took upon him flesh and blood so that he could bear with you. So that he could bear with me. And so that he, that, so when we cry out to him, and he goes to the Father as an advocate, and he, he, gives, he, he comes to the Father with these words, and notice what this passage tells us. He says, you always hear me. The intercessory work of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf, on my behalf. Christ says right here in John 11 that you always hear me. Thank you for hearing me, Father, he says. And so when you cry out to Christ and when you're going through this veil of tears and you're suffering for whatever it is, for the glory of God, know that the intercessor is pleading on your behalf and the Father always hears him. Always does. And so, in this picture that we have here, this portrait of his humanity, we come to verse 35 here, where it says, He wept. Now, This word wept in verse 35 is different. It's a different word entirely from the word weep in verse 33. The one in verse 33 where Mary was weeping and the Jews came with her weeping. It is a bewailing. It is to wail aloud. It is to cry out aloud. The weeping in verse 35 where Jesus wept is a silent crying. It is not the bewailing, but it is the emotion of His humanity coming out, weeping with them because He was feeling their pain. And He was even feeling the pain. Notice what He says in verse 33. He groaned in the Spirit and was troubled. Verse 38, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. What does this mean? Well, he groaned in the spirit. This word groaned is normally speaking of, it has the implication or the idea of indignation, of of passion, of being indignant. And I, I believe that in verse 33, 
He groaned in his spirit because of the human condition. Why is the human condition the way that it is? Dear people, why is the human condition the way that it is? We heard this morning in the children's lesson that God made man holy and happy. That's not the state of humanity today. We are not holy and happy in that sense. He groaned with indignation because he understood that what was occurring right in front of him was because of sin. Because of original sin. Sin had entered into the world and death by sin. And so he was indignant, I believe, as he seen the utter desolation that was going on in the human condition. It was not the way God had created it to be. But it's the way that Satan had made it to be. Because of sin. What, a, what an amazing picture that is before us. And he groaned again in the spirit in verse 38. He understood that death came by sin. Now, while we see the humanity of Christ vividly in this text, it is not all that we see. It is not all that's there. Praise God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's not all that we see. The deity of Christ. That's the other side that I want to look at here. The deity of Christ is painted in vibrant colors here on the canvas of these people's experience. The deity of Christ. What a glorious picture we have of it here. Notice, first of all, that he sends word back that this sickness... He says that in verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is unto glory, <laughs> not unto death. We need to get a hold of that. Amen. Brothers and sisters, whatever you are going through, whatever affliction is coming our way, if it is not because of sin, then it is unto glory. I truly hope that we're not suffering for our own sins. Because we have made stupid choices. But if you're suffering for the glory of Christ. And he has chosen to bring an affliction into your life. It is truly for the glory of Christ. It's not unto death. No. It is unto glory. That is the first thing we see here. And he sends that word back I think. To the sisters. Lazarus sickness is not unto death. It's unto glory. Well, wait a minute. How do, we, how do we reconcile that? He died. <laughs> That's not the end of it, you see. See, to our, in our perspective, it is the end. When you're talking about the, the, uh, the life, it's not the end. Matthew Henry says, The afflictions of the saints are designed for the glory of God. And how true I think that is. Well, I want to point out something here that you've probably already seen. It says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, 
So when he had heard that he was sick, he hastened to Bethany. Is that right? You would think that's what you would do, wouldn't it? If you love somebody, you got a message of imminent death because of sickness, you would rush back, especially if you had the cure. Not Christ. <laughs> he intentionally stayed two more days. Intentionally stayed. It says that he, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. As I said, usually you would hasten back to the bedside of this patient, but not Christ. He said no. He subjected his own love for the family to the divine timetable. Think about that. Don't you think the humanity of Christ would have liked to go back? Bless Lazarus. Bless his sisters. Heal him from his sickness. But he had a greater plan. He had a larger plan. He had a bigger plan. He says that um, that he might be glorified and that out of that glorification of himself, let the disciples would be able to believe. You see... There is another reason for the affliction that you're going through. That you might come out of it believing. Believing that Christ has a plan for you. He subjected his own love for the family to the divine will. Notice verse 15. Notice verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Almost like he was agreeing with the sisters that if he would have been there, he wouldn't have died. He says to the disciples, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You know, so that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. It's almost like, well, we, we, we don't, I don't think that there's any indication in all of Scripture that there was an in, incident of death in the presence of life, this life, the life of Christ, the person of Christ. I don't think there was an incident of death in all of, all of the, his ministry except his own. His own. And so he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there because, I, I, you know, he wouldn't have died while I was there. And so he, he abstained, he, he kept his distance, and he, he, Lazarus died, and Jesus now is free to come and raise him from the dead. But for the sake of their faith, the divine timetable was set. Isn't that amazing? This is the sort of emphasis in, in uh, planning that goes into strengthening of your faith and of my faith. That these afflictions are all fitting into the divine timetable that your faith would be strengthened. I find that amazing. So that you may believe. So that you may believe. Now consider the danger to the group in going back to Judea. Just quickly here, I want to point out. They said, well, look, are you sure you want to go back, Lord? I mean, the last time you were there, they were chucking rocks. And the Lord said, well, there's 12 hours in the day. And as long as someone is walking in the day, he's not going to stumble. I think he's simply saying here, if you are in God's timetable, 
if you are walking in the day, follow his will, you will not stumble. We will not come to grief outside of the will of God. And uh, I, I believe that is the understanding of this passage. But if, if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And if we are walking in our own ways, if we're walking in our own thing, we will stumble. But if you are walking in the timetable that God has for you, all the threats of the Jewish people throwing rocks will avail nothing. But this was, it was very prominent danger because Thomas in verse 16 said, let us also go that we may die with him. This is the perspective they had. Well, he's, he's going to be stoned in Judea. Let's just go with him and we'll die with him. Now I want to point out a few things here here in the few minutes I have left as we think about the deity and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ portrayed here when he came to this family and they had already been, he had already been dead for four days. So it is very logical that Lazarus died soon after Jesus got the word. Maybe even after the, soon after the messenger started out for Christ. That Lazarus would have died and if it was four days, let's say he died when uh, Jesus got the message. Jesus stayed two days, took a day back. It could have been four days easily if... Uh, if it was a two-day journey back, or no, if, a, if, it was, if he lingered two days where he was and then had a day's journey back, that it was now four days. And I, I want to just, just think about how much is put into this miracle so that we can be assured that this is nothing fake going on here. Think about it. Four days. With him bound, his face, his nose bound, if he had been alive, he would have smothered just from his grave clothes. But it was, the Holy Spirit makes it clear to us to tell us that it was four days. And they say after 72 hours with an unembalmed body, the, the, you know, the decay and the putrefaction happens quickly following 72 hours after death without embalming. So we have... 96 day, 96 hours now. And at that point, the, uh, as the passage points out, there is a literal uh, smell coming from the grave. Now, you have the Holy Spirit making a point of letting us know these things. Now, also, um, I want to point out here What Christ did. Did you ever think about when he says, roll away the stone? Why did he need to roll away the stone? He didn't. But he asked the people to roll away the stone. And then after the resurrection, he says, take off the grave clothes. Let him loose. Christ never once did a physical thing here in this miracle except one thing. He raised his voice. I think it's an important point. 
Here we have someone who is able to speak things into existence. I mean, that is the greatest demonstration of ability that you will ever encounter anywhere. That you can bring something from nothing just by the power of your voice. This is absolutely what happened. He did not touch that stone. There was no instant, no incident of fraud. There was no indication that, that he had that even the touching of his grave clothes he didn't even mess with. No, he just simply said, and he let the he, he let the humans do what the humans could do, you see. But what God needed to do, that's what Christ did. And I want to just think about something. Here he raised his voice. In verse, in verse 43, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now this is nothing new to the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is go to Genesis 1. And let me just say this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Then God said... Let there be light. And what was it? It was light. And it, he continued that day that way. Then God said, then God said, then God said, then God said. We have the same thing occurring in John 11. Then God said. And in John 5, you have the same, you have the same thing going on. He says in John 5 that most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming. And now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now listen, he's not talking about physical resurrection there. The hour is coming and currently is existing, he says. It is right now going on that those who hear the voice of the Son of God are being born again. And then he goes on to say, a little later in John 5, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming. Now, this is different from the hour now is. There is an, the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. There is an Im, absolute impossibility that they do not come forth. When he calls, you will arise. There's, it's an impossibility for that not to happen. It's been demonstrated time and time again in the scripture that when God says something, it happens. Praise God, we have this picture in John 11. And when he called Lazarus out of the grave, he was going to come whether he was bound hand and foot. And he was. But he was more than that. He was decaying on the inside of those grave clothes. Amazing. But this is the picture that we get from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the picture of his divinity, of his divine nature. And now we say that it is by his voice, when you hear his voice today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For today is the opportunity to salvation. If you hear his voice, come. You see. And actually, you won't come unless you hear his voice. No man 
comes to me except a father draw him and I will receive him. So I, I just, I'm, I am so blessed with the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 11. Listen, are you absolutely convinced that the dead will rise? That's what Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? She said, I believe that you're the son of God. I think she doubted it a bit then when he said, get the stone away. No, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's a little late for that, Lord. He, he's already smelling. <laughs> he said, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of the Lord if you believe? You see? And so today I just want to invite you to see the glory of Christ in this passage. That there is a glorious Christ and we gather around him every Lord's day. And, and here we have the glory of this great hope of our resurrection. And indeed, we will arise. We will arise. Well, thank you for your attention. And uh, may the Lord bless this passage to our hearts and quicken us and liven us for His purpose and His glory. <laughs>